Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I miss the classified ads at my old local town paper. For relatively pennies a day, you could place an ad in the local paper for almost anything, right? There were ads for pets and bikes and bags and lost and found, things for sale, just simply announcements that you would like to make. It was, it was almost like an archaeological dig of your own little community. And it was like that because everybody read it. And even if you didn't get the paper and you didn't read the paper every day, somebody in your family did. Your dad read it. Your mom read it. Your, your uncle read it. Most of the school teachers would read it before they went in. But sometimes in the olden days, the editors would put in mistakes. They'd put in jokes into the classifieds just to keep it interesting, keep people talking about things. It made the people who didn't get the paper feel like they were left out because they missed that really cool thing in the classifieds this morning. What a weird age we used to live in, right? One commonly used mistake was to reverse the letters of dog and turn it into God, right? So D-O-G becomes G-O-D. My dyslexia does not want me to tell this joke. So in the classical ads, you, it looks like you're looking for some poor homeless pop you're looking to place with somebody, right? Stuck between the notices of German shepherds and golden retrievers is an ad, God. God. G-O-D. Free. Needs home. 35 pounds. Well-trained. Loves people. Likes water. Catches frisbees. And it is true. God is indeed free, and he does love water, and he does love people, and I'm not so sure about the catches frisbee part. But God is still looking for a home. In our Bible lesson this morning, it describes God in word pictures. Our lesson for today, Jesus tells two parables. He actually tells three parables. But we do the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son, we do in Lent. And so this morning we really only have the two. But I, I find it impossible to deal with two of these three parables that are, that are linked in my mind together for all of eternity. Our gospel today, Jesus tells two parables that betray the heart of God. The first is that of a shepherd who's lost a sheep. The second is that of a homemaker who has lost a small silver coin. Your parents were not the first to advise, be careful with whom you choose to spend your time with. Parents and siblings and others have advised us throughout all of our days to be careful with who we share our time with. Sharing a meal was a gesture of goodwill. It was a brace of welcome, even with strangers. Sharing a meal was a statement of hospitality and acceptance, but there were limits. Certainly in a small culture like Judaism that was struggling to keep its identity in a verse a diverse and hostile culture. Does it remind you of anybody? Prescribing who was acceptable and who was not acceptable was important. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were coming close to Jesus. These tax collectors and sinners, what right does Jesus have to spend time with them? The holy person, what kind of a holy person would spend such, such time with such unholy people? It's helpful to make sure that we understand why Jesus has told this parable. He is spending time with people that others find to be 
the wrong swords. The Pharisees and the scribes, now the scribes are lawyers. They're not trial lawyers. Lawyers tend to be more like copyists. They're documenters, notaries, witnesses, scribes. They, they write things. The Pharisees are the teachers of the law. They're the guardians of the tradition. And as guardians of the traditions, as guardians of all that was good and holy and just, they were suspicious. Certainly suspicious of any audience that include tax collectors and sinners. To the Pharisees, cleanliness was next to godliness. It wasn't even next to godliness. Cleanliness was godliness. You had to be clean. Jesus has suffered their allegations all throughout his ministry. Remember those stone jars that Jesus used to create water at the wedding of Cana? Those stone jars were sitting over there specifically for the Jewish rites of purification. In case you bumped up to something that was Gentile, you could go and you could wash yourself off and make your clean and come back into the party. This is the the stone jars, by the way, that, that Jesus uses to create that wine. Each one of those stone jars holds 20 to 30 gallons of water. Jesus essentially removes these man-made purification rites from this wedding by creating 120 to 180 gallons of wine. The Pharisees were always careful to stay clean. According to their understanding of the law, they were meticulous in their washing rituals and the conspicuous avoidance of certain situations and the avoidance of certain people. Sound familiar? And so they leveled this charge at Jesus. This fellow, I like the way that's put, This guy eats with sinners and welcomes them. Jesus' response to their grumbling is to tell these three stories of three lost things. The search for these three lost things is the utter joy of recovering that which was lost. As we read these stories, we see this description of God. Jesus is saying, let me tell you what God is like. Between the lines, we hear him saying, let me tell you how God feels about those people that you would consider an outcast. Jesus tells the story of lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son, a prodigal son in the text later. But there are two words that I see that stick out as key. This first word that we're going to look at today is until. Which of you, Jesus asks, having a hundred sheep, Losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that was lost until he finds it. Or which woman of you who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? This until is a, a very important word. It describes the relentless search for that which was lost, a search that does not end until it's found. The shepherd is reckless in leaving the 99 in order to go hunt for the one. 
The woman whose coin is rolled into the floor in a dimly lit room intensifies her search until that object has been recovered. We can imagine her lighting a lamp and glancing around the room and having not seen it, she then sweeps the floor hoping that the coin will bounce off of something and she will know where it is. And after she sweeps the floor and cannot find it, I can see her with her lamp on her hands and knees in her house looking for this lost coin. Neither the shepherd nor the householder gives a mere cursory glance. They don't just sort of look at it and go, well, I guess it's around here somewhere. They look for it upon the noticing that it's missing and they find it. And they don't give up. God is like that, Jesus says. It is a relentless searching with dogged determination that which was lost. That word, little word until looms large in these stories, doesn't it? <clears throat> The other word, the second word that we want to look at here is rejoice. Well, that's what both the shepherd and the householder do. They search until they find, and then their joy is abundant because their search is so intense. And so they call their friends and the neighbors together to celebrate with them that they had found that which they had lost. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners are gathering to listen unto him, these outcast people that we have been led to believe, and they have been led to believe that they are unwanted. They have been led to believe that they are unworthy of a search. And our Old Testament betrays God's real feelings about these. Our Ezekiel text is pretty damning on it, to tell you the truth. Well, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself, I will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. Pretty folks, sounds pretty good, considering we consider ourselves the chief, the, the chief sheep of the shepherd. As the shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among the sheep and they have been scattered, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from the places to which they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from their countries and I will bring them into their own lands and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the ravines and in all of the inhabited places of the country and I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountaintops of Israel shall be their grazing land and they shall lie down in good grazing land and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of these sheep and I myself will make them to lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them justice. All of this is great Old Testament stuff and nice little platitudes, so long as we rip it out of context and we leave it right there. If we leave it right there, we'll be, yay, this is awesome. God continues with severe words for his nation of Israel and thereby also you and I. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed upon the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture. And you drink cool, clear water, but then you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. Must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push aside with shoulder and thrust with the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be prey, and my servant David shall feed them. <clears throat> 
must admit, nowadays we come to these, these texts and I find myself more and more sympathizing with the Pharisees. You see, it is not within the Pharisees' nature, nor mine, to be so concerned, to be so diligent, to be so relentless with those people that we consider trashy people. And I try to tell you, I don't know if you've noticed, but trashy people have gotten trashier and trashier. My family used to make jokes about sort of the trashy people of the world, but they were, for the most part, just, when my family talked about trash people, they talked about people that were marginally poorer than them. That was it. Nowadays, the gaps have become astounding. We find ourselves figuring out how do we deal with these people? And I far too often find myself like little Bo Peep, thinking, well, if those sheep wanted to come home, they know where we are. There's a big old sign out there in front. It's not like they can't find us. We, we put an ad in the classifieds. Come home if you wish. And we can go after them. And we try, sometimes. Generally, they tend to kiss, to, to cuss at us and spit at us and call us names. I know, they like to talk about us. They like to talk about how pious we are. They like to talk about how holier than thou that we are. They like to think that we're haughty. They like to think that we think that we're better than they are, despite the fact that they don't know that that's what we think, even if it is what we think, that they don't know that. I do find myself the urge to not to hold up my piety and my life against somebody else's. You know why? Because I know that it's wrong. I was raised better than they were. <laughs> there I go again. I know that it's wrong. And I know full well that I have my fair share of warts and I do everything in my power to keep those out of your purview and their purview to be, to be completely fair. As a shepherd, it's so easy to say, well, at least most of the flock is here. Why risk my safety and my security over some loser sheep? Some stupid trash panda. As a householder, we might think, well, it, I did find my silver coin even after all the effort, and I'm happy that no one saw me round on the floor scrounging around through the corners looking for some stupid little coin. While God's grace is persistent and exuberant, I, I find myself on occasion being pretty smug and pretty stated and keeping my dignity and my poise as proper as I can, but not so with God. Any effort I may exert, any sense of mercy that I may be able to conjure up within myself compares not at all to the extreme energetic mercy and seeking that God has for one sheep. One sheep that I may not care anything about. This is not about what I want. This is about what God wants. And any sense of joy I may feel over someone who was lost and found comes nowhere near to the overwhelming joy that breaks forth in the heavens. As we hear the narrative of the lost sheep and the lost coin, what, what Christ is asking us is what should, what can we do differently? 
I think this description of God as a relentlessly searching for a lost and his exuberant joy over finding that is important for us today. Even now, there are those whose God's love, as an example, would hold tight to beliefs of correct lifestyles. If we're among those who draw the inclusion circle smaller and smaller and tighter than tighter, Jesus' story of sheeps and coins might offend us. It probably should. It certainly challenges us when we presume to fix God's approval upon certain standards and his disapproval upon certain other standards. That's what's so very comforting about this text. As Jesus leaves the 99 in the open country, he is indeed concerned about that single sheep. He makes this arduous journey into the wilderness for this single sheep and he is filled with the supreme joy over finding that one single sheep the pharisees and the teachers were muttering and criticizing and grumbling and complaining about this man this man who receives sinners he eats with sinners and they keep on saying this I mean, Jesus has understood this throughout all of his ministry. They have continued to say this. This man, this fella, this guy, your disciples eat without their hands washed. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And it's all just so derogatory. They don't even want to pronounce his name. They don't even say who they're talking about here. And what they've said is absolutely, absolutely true. They have pronounced a great truth. And they meant it for evil. But they don't know how right they are. Like Caiaphas when he prophesied and said, it is better that one man should die for the people than all of the tea people perish. True. Absolutely, Caiaphas. As high priest, he's finally sort of figured it out. He's so close. And these Pharisees are right there. They are so close to the truth of what they say. God is showing the gracious heart in this lost sheep, this lost coin, this lost son, this prodigal son, to his utter delight to seek and save the one lost sinner. God's word clearly teaches us that God so loved a world of sinners that he sent his son. And in our individualistic society, it's good to emphasize the corporate nature of the holy Christian church. But these parables show us this, this individualistic understanding of sheep and God. That every single person to Jesus is important. In the first parable, it's one out of a hundred. And you think about anything you have a hundred of. You think, well, if I lose one, I still have 99. What's the big deal? And then Jesus goes to one out of ten. One out of ten is a lot bigger of a number than one out of a hundred. And then he tells us this third parable about a man who has two sons. If you lose half, Now it's a big deal. But God doesn't see the difference between a half and a tenth and a hundred. A hundredth. One out of 99 or one out of 100 does, seems insignificant to us, but you are more precious in the sight of God than all of the gold on earth. You are. 
one out of 50. Your body, your soul are precious to God. Had you been the only sinner in the world, Jesus still would have gone to cross to save you from your sins. Had you been the only sinner on the planet, Jesus Christ would have still died for your sins. And he'd have been glad to do it. For God's love, is, it's radical. It's, it's absurd to leave 99 sheep in the wilderness alone. It makes no sense. It seems so utterly irresponsible. No one who counts cost does such a thing. It's not, it's not worth it. At a certain point, you can look around, but at a certain point, you've got to cut your losses and go, well, maybe that sheep will show up at some point in some place. That is not the heart of God. This man welcomes sinners. Thanks be unto God. The Pharisees were right. Jesus is constantly welcoming sinners. He's eating with sinners. He's hobnobbing with sinners. He's keeping his circle open and broad. He makes no one comes in. He makes nobody leave. He keeps it broad. He keeps it wide. He continues to do this within our midst. Feeding with, with his own body and blood. Think of that in the next few minutes when you come here to kneel before this altar to God. One sinner is more valuable than beyond all measure. And you are valuable beyond measure. You are not a number. You are a redeemed child of God. And you are valuable to him. Your good shepherd knows you by name. You are his thanks beyond to God. He has engraved you in the palms of his hand. He knows who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.